Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we wanna say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Gordon S., Joe G., Todd W. and Jim S. Returning to the program today is Mark Haywood. Mark is the president and CEO of EDM Resources, a restart development junior focused on its zinc-led Scotia mine project in Nova Scotia, along with exploration grounds nearby. The Scotia mine is in its final permitting stages with expected restart in 2024. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol EDM. Mark, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Andrew. Great to be here, of course. Yeah, Mark, good to chat. Well, let's get started here. You've been on the program a number of times, and I'll just refer the audience back to some of those prior programs on some introductory stuff. But why don't we get started here with you just giving us a brief overview of EDM resources, and then we'll get into recent news, capital structure update, and some of the restart details. Sure. As you know, EDM Explore Develop Mine, we have been around for a while under a different name. And when I took over the company in August of 2019, uh, we set about the process of uh, reviewing everything, including our Scotia mine in Nova Scotia. And part of that process was to look into the resources, do a financial model and so forth. And we started off that process and that created the first 43101 mineral reserve on the project and defined a mine life of 14 years. With a pretty high net present value, even at 8% of over 174 million Canadian. So this was a mothballed project for essentially uh, 10 years. And we took it over and transformed that and the company enormously in the last four years. We're listed on that stock exchange, on the venture exchange, as you know, under EDM. The mine is partially permitted. We say permitted in that we have sufficient um, environmental assessment of approval EAs to get into production for seven years. And as I've said in previous podcasts and generally in the market, our strategy has been this year to get all the final approvals in place for commencing production at the, either at the end of this year at the earliest or uh, next year. So that's been our strategy. Uh, because it has a near-term cash flow, short path to production in terms of having the equipment on site, people on site, and into production essentially within nine to 12 months of us making that decision to start. And that, of course, leads to uh, early cash flows. And the cash flows over the life of the mine are between 13 and 41 million free cash flow, starting essentially from the first year of production. So that means that the company is positioned for early and sustained dividends, which has been our been our strategy. But as you know, due to various market forces out there, the you know, state of the world economy and where we are in that process of getting into production, we're trading at a fraction of our NAV. And currently, I think it's about you know, 10%. So that's, I think, Andrew, as an overview of a project. We're in Nova Scotia, we're near the airport, we're on all season, road, highway, 
logistically it's, it's very good. The facilities are built and all we're doing in terms of putting it back into production are improving the equipment by replacing it, by servicing it, uh, and then of course mining. And our mine plans and have all been developed. We're doing more and more plans as, and fine-tuning those plans as the months have gone on. We should be ready for uh, production really at the end of this year, but we're just waiting on the final approvals from the regulator. Mark, I appreciate that. And thanks for the overview there. And want to get into a few of those details that you mentioned here. Let's just start off here with the, uh, the capital structure, get an update on the capital structure, where we stand today in terms of shares outstanding, the cash on hand, and how far you expect that will get us at this point, major shareholders, including management and board. The total capitalization right now is we have roughly 24 million shares outstanding, which is in a quite unique position for a company that has a, a built mine in Canada, in Nova Scotia. We have warrants of about 4 million warrants, um, RSUs and options about uh, 2.5 million. So on a fully diluted basis, we have approximately 30.5 million shares outstanding. Uh, we're trading between 20 and, and 30 cents recently with a high of 65 cents. And so our market cap is between uh, four and, and 10 million. For a project that has a net present value of over 174 million, even at 8% uh, pre-tax, this is kind of unheard of. And that's really where we're, we're pushing, you know, in terms of you know, rectifying that with going into production. So other than our capitalization, and the structure, our shareholder base, base hasn't changed since we, we last talked about this. Uh, essentially, a 21% institution, um, insiders, you know, the board, uh, management, and other investors who have a holdings of over 10%, that's sitting at around uh, 25%. And of course, we have uh, retail of around about 54%. These numbers, of course, the shareholder base are our best, our best estimations. But we do, we do have a very good base of shareholders and supportive um, and understand that this is not necessarily a, a long-term proposition, but a, a good one and a very unique one. We've never said that it's, it's going to be easy. It's always a challenge putting a mine anywhere in the world, which I've done before, into production. And, and so this is where we're, we're working through a number of these different issues. I think that covers most of the questions, Andrew. Discuss briefly here just the cash on hand at this point, uh, given cash. a recent yeah. financing and, and just mm -hmm. uh, really with the time frame that's been extended here a bit, uh, just talk about how far you think that'll get you down the runway. So uh, our cash on hand is just around about 800000 um, Our burn rate's pretty low. Um, as you mentioned, we, we, don't, we have a pretty tight workforce. We're working away on the, a lot of the permitting issues that don't actually cost much. And we have access to another $2 million non dilutive in, in our insurance. Um, which is what we'll probably pull in this quarter. Uh, we're just working on the timing for that. And we have other sources uh, that we believe are non-dilutive, which I'm working on, which, of course, I can't disclose at this point. But as I've always said, my plan has been to keep this capitalization structure very tight because when we do get a re-rating in the marketplace, this is set to make multiples on our, on our current share price. That's one of the things, and that's really one of the other strategies I've mentioned before in terms of uh, providing a dividend. We want to we want to keep as tight a share possible, uh, share structure as possible. So with only essentially 30 million shares fully diluted, it's a very unique position. 
uh, that we're at. So right now, um, we're not looking to do any financing. And certainly at these prices, we don't want to. So we have a pretty good runway uh, to get us through uh, for at least the next 12 months if we want you know, to do anything more than uh, the, the permitting and keeping the project in, in the high-level care and maintenance, which is currently at. Very well, Mark. I appreciate you covering that off there. Well, let's let's get into the corporate update that was sent out uh, just recently. That mm-hmm. recent news from the company wasn't very well received by the market, of which included final permit delay, which we'll talk about, expected potentially to be about a year maybe. And then also that there wasn't much incentive to conduct a restart until zinc and lead prices improved. But just talk about that news for a moment and the comments made because the mine restart is really contingent upon the permit and then, of course, a decision on the economic viability once the permit risk is removed. Yep. So that news release, which was put out to the market on 18th of August, that talked about a number of different things. One of the, one of the key things is, of course, the metal price and namely zinc, uh, zinc price, which is uh, the, the, the main driver. Uh, behind the economics of the project. We also have lead and we also have gypsum, which are byproducts and additional revenue streams. We've been talking to our investors and to our insiders and to our off-taker about the outlook of zinc price and how that impacts our projects, not only from an economic point of view, but from a risk point of view, particularly during startup. Everybody that I've talked to, and I, I think your listeners would, would agree, there makes very little sense in putting a, a company with a sole operation into production during a falling zinc price or falling general commodity price. And the general consensus has been hold off and wait until you can see an upside. What we're currently seeing, as, as you would be aware of, is a zinc price, which is under $1.10 a pound. Our PFS was done at a at $1.20 a pound, so essentially 10 cents higher. So what this means is that although the project is still economic at $1.10, if it falls down below a dollar or goes to 90 cents, then it makes putting it into operation harder, uh, paying back our loan. And the last thing we want to do is go into production and have to shut down because that's happened before with many companies and including Arcadian Mining who operated this in 2008, 2009. They had a very high C1 cash cost. The zinc price was high when they started. They put in production, the metal price fell below their cash cost, and they essentially went into receivership. So as, as you would know from you know, some of our previous podcasts, as an operator, I'm intent on making this into an operation for the long term. So our group, including our off-taker, want to see short to medium term zinc prices, or if you like, commodity prices, for this project on an upward outlook. At the moment, it's not. The long term is good at around about $1.30, which is great in terms of the overall economics of the project, the net present value, and of course, the internal rate of return, IRR, which is above 65%. But it's the short term that 
we are always concerned about when you're building a mine and you're putting it into production. These are some of the critical aspects that we look for as operators to make sure that once we go into production, we stay in production. That takes patience in terms of lining up everything, not only from a permitting side, but from a, like a workforce, finance side. Those, these things have to be lined up. And that's been essentially my job, uh, taking this from a mothballed project to lining up the stars, lining up where no one else has been able to do this before or have not tried to get this into production because it means such a big thing for, you know, for Nova Scotians, for the local workforce, jobs, taxes, royalties. Uh, this is a big project when, as you appreciate, there's not a lot of projects being started in Canada let alone critical mineral projects. And this is what we are. We're a critical mineral project. We're a near-term critical mineral producer, and we fully intend to take advantage of that. And as we go on, looking at incentives. So zinc price, that was the number one item in the press release because our investors need to understand that we're watching this and we want to make sure we, write, we make the right decision. And we announced the go, if you like, on the basis of being aligned with the metal price. I think everybody can understand that. And as I said, everybody uh, I talk to in terms of shareholders are right behind that strategy as well. Nevertheless, it's good to put it out, I think, in a press release to say that, you know, we're just not going to go just for the sake of it and then lose our shirts. We want to make sure this is the right decision. And secondly, in that press release, we wanted to be quite transparent and update the market on where we are in terms of permitting. You would know from previous conversations that we have two EAs. We have the main zone and then Southwest Extension Zone. Uh, they're in place. They're the main, main drivers behind getting uh, this project into production. And at the opening, my opening comments, I didn't say we were fully permitted. I said we are permitted for the first seven or so years of production, which is accurate because you always have permitting work to do. You rerun economics, you expand an area and driven by that economics, driven by discovery, driven by uh, cutoff grade changes, driven by metal prices. So you're continually expanding, even potentially contracting your, your pit which requires adjustments in your EAs. So we have two EAs in place that covers covers up for essentially seven years of mining. And then we have to do um, along that, during that part, if you like, the first seven years, we'll be doing additional permitting and on other areas, uh, which one of them requires a completely new EA. So then we essentially have three EAs and our existing EAs would be likely amended to cover additional areas um, as part of that development, as I mentioned. So this year, 2023, was all about getting all that permitting approvals, if you like, lined up. Now, one thing you should know that when you talk about permitting, it's not necessarily a piece of paper that says you're permitted. Sometimes they're just approvals. Sometimes they're a regulator says, yes, that's good, go ahead. Um, so it's not a not a technical application form with a permit that you fill out. It's basically in a review, has no impact, 
get on with it. So Department of Fisheries and Oceans has that kind of thing. And their approval, if you like, until recently was straightforward because of the nature of the operation being in production before um, our new expansion area, the southwest expansion area, is distal from the river, um, not a, an increasing distance, if you like, a further away from uh, than the main pit, than the river. So that means that there's less of an impact on that area. But due to recent uh, changes in, in the DFO's requirements, I guess requirement from there is, is called SARA, S-A-R-A, Species at Risk Act, and they wanted to know the impact of our operation as a whole on that river in relation to species at risk, namely Atlantic salmon and and one other species, which I think is called the Brookfield floater. Now, there's no evidence of Atlantic salmon in the river that flows past the operation, let alone the effect of our operation on that species. Nevertheless, they've asked us to test that to go fishing, if you like. Over the course of the last three years, we've done a lot of work on the operation, looking at the river and monitoring water levels, monitoring the impact of the current state, if you like, no activities on the mine and and monitoring our discharge from the tannings pond or polishing pond into the river. And there's really been nothing of concern. And that dovetailed with information and records of the project being in production under Arcadian days, which is 2007-2008, and then previously when it was an underground operation called Gaze River in the 80s, there's no evidence that the operation really impacted the river, and certainly in terms of it being restored back to its natural state. And that's what we've been monitoring. And so we have a a good, we, we feel we have a very good understanding of of the impact of the operation on the Gaze River. It's a seasonal river. It flows between virtually nothing in in summer to three or four metres during spring runoff or uh, as recently a a hundred year, one in a hundred year storm event took place and there was virtually no impact of our operation on the river other than more water flowing everywhere uh, into this river course. And so that's why I'm saying that they had really picked at quite a high level. So the impact of the operation on the water level of the river is, as we believe, is like negligible. Um, and then, of course, uh, that Atlantic salmon, which are in the river further downstream by about six, uh, six kilometres, very little known impact of our operation on the Gaze River, let alone uh, being a breeding ground for Atlantic salmon who don't uh, come up this far. We've got to test that. We've got to test the DNA and go through that process. We were expecting a a variation like most other provinces have, but I think the DFO in Nova Scotia is is quite strict. And that's what I wanted to convey and disclose to the market that this uh, approval has been held up from the feds because they want us to do some more work uh, on the river, which will take time, which will take four seasons essentially uh, to do. So in, in essence, that was the, the meat uh, behind that press release. And I think some shareholders who saw that from a negative point of view, why aren't you going to production tomorrow? And I think everybody who's listened to my 
uh, webinars and podcasts and presentations and just generally look, you know, spent time going through our press release and engaging with us, we'd realise that there's a lot of moving parts here and we're doing the best we can to line all this up with our finance group, uh, namely our offtaker, get engineering plans in place from the mill on what we need to do, get long lead items ordered, prepare for hiring people, get all the all the necessary approvals in place, including from the regulator, Nova Scotia, and of course the federal government, get the bonds and insurance in place, working closely with our offtaker, uh, with the condition precedence um, behind the first drawdown or the, or the uh, access to that capital, what we need to do, and working with our off-takers uh, on the gypsum, engaging with stakeholders, like having open days, and of course, um, as you would imagine, running the corporation and dealing with all, all that stuff. So the press release is all about updating the market where we're at to ensure that the market knows our, our timeline, which as you can appreciate, it's a continually changing and we're continually managing how we conduct that aspect of the business and manage expectations. And, you know, of course, we want to put this into production as soon as possible, but there are steps, there are restrictions, there are barriers, and there is, of course, difficulties. Otherwise, everybody would do this and it would have been in production before. But I feel we're very close. I've been communicating that to the market that 2023 is about getting everything lined up. And the reality is it's pretty close. We're not saying that the product's been mothballed and that's it. We're saying that this is going to take a little bit longer, maybe six months longer than we anticipated. But considering where the zinc price is sitting right now, that's okay <laughs> in our mind. Yeah. Lots to chew off there and I want to focus in on mm -hmm. a couple of things and I'll come back to some other stuff here in a moment. Uh, but back to the economics here, you know, there's probably some parameters with the offtaker being hesitant in, in the sense of maybe not wanting to move forward at this point. But on the other side of things too, it's difficult to progress in the sense that also that the market continues to discount execution and in the sense of, okay, well, what's the way to carry this forward? And so when you look at this, you know, you have a number of issues of, okay, do we look at uh, execution in terms of maybe the economics aren't exactly what's in the economic study? But, you know, when I look at this, even today, if you use current prices, sure, a lot of your margin's been eroded. I don't know that there's a negative NPV today, and you have the numbers in front of you. I don't. But my suspicion is, is this is probably maybe a 20% IRR. I don't know where it is today, but that's just my assumption that even at current prices today, yes, you don't have near as much cushion. But what does the market look at when it comes to final permits are in place for that first seven years? there's actually, you know, restart progress, and then there's actually commercialization, commissioning, and what does the market think of that? Now, of course, it doesn't have these big numbers that were published in the economic study. The question is, is, is it sustaining? And so those are some of the other issues that you have in terms of, okay, well, right now the market's discounted this thing to a, you know, a 5 million market cap Canadian. At this point, the market price is telling everybody that there's little belief that there's going to be a restart. They're not seeing that kind of progress is what I'm getting at. When you put this into production and you've got a first seven years, you and I both know, Mark, that these cyclical markets in the junior sector and, and in commodities, 
there's going to be a period of time where this is going to get rough, whether it's immediately after restart or at year four or five or six, there's always going to be a tough time there where there's always the potential that this thing will be shut down because of market prices. And so I guess that's the other challenge there too, the timing of the restart and then how long are you able to keep it going? And so you run something for 14 years, you're definitely going to have plus permit amendments to get extensions and expansion of the mine. That's some of the difficulties that, that people look at here. What is the MPV today? Is it sustainable? And I'd like to hear from you on some of those things I said. Okay, that was a lot there and pretty tough questions, but here we go. So the economics of the project, uh, if we were to run a feasibility study right now, are better, full stop. So any question about, oh, the zinc, the zinc price is $1.09 right now. This is a long-term project. When you look at long-term zinc prices, which are $1.30, the actual um, internal rate of return and the MPV is higher than our pre-feasibility study. As I mentioned earlier, the short-term price is always something when you're starting off a project and your margins are tighter because you, you're stripping uh, more waste material, um, you're not, you haven't fully accessed your body. That creates a, t a closer margin between, generally, between the commodity price and the C1 cash cost, the profit, if you like, of the mine, or the gap between essentially your, your margin, right? So that's what I'm talking about is I'd like to see the zinc price above $1.20 in that first three or four years, because that improves the profile of the project in terms of the lower risk. So once we're over that, those three or four years, then we, our cash cost drops right down to roughly 40 to 50 cents. So yep. this is a key aspect of this project. And this is, what, this is what makes it so good, Andrew, is that it's a robust project. And you don't, you don't expect the zinc price to fall below a dollar. But I don't want to see it anywhere near that in the first three or four years of production. Um, if, if, that, if that was the case later on, you know, after we're, after we're busted through year four, fine. We're going to be one of the lowest cost producers in Canada, let alone the world. And our, our most recent pre-feasibility study demonstrated that we would be in 25th lowest percentile of producers in the world, especially if you're considering this is our only project, that's pretty good. So the economics, if you look into it and you look at, re, if you look at the sensitivity on this in the, the latest 43101, you see that the, the MPV is actually better. Um, so that's one thing. Yes, the market is discounting us because, as you know, the market sees a negative press release and uh, reacts. And you know that the Canadian market is not very strong. We're in summer. Uh, people really don't care right now. And liquidity for EDM has always been quite low. So it only takes one shareholder or two shareholders to say, okay, well, I'm out. They dump their small position, but due to liquidity, that has an impact on the share price. Right. So that doesn't mean that everybody's doing that. And it doesn't mean that that's necessarily representative at all of what the majority of our shareholders think and or believe, and particularly the ones who are patient. Some of um, your group and our other um, supporters would know that they're patient. 
they see what we're doing is a very good thing. It's not like you, you know, you're in a factory and you're churning out, you know, TVs. We're actually doing something that's quite meaningful. Not that producing TV is not meaningful, of course, but we're set about a transformational opportunity here, not for our, not just for EDM or our investors, but we're going to make a big difference to the economy of Nova Scotia by hiring and by injecting this capital in. And as I mentioned before, you know, all about critical minerals, we can be the next critical mineral producer in Canada. We're pretty close, I think. And as I mentioned, liquidity is down, but that doesn't mean that because we have to delay by six months because the feds want us to do some, some more work, that doesn't mean by any means that we're not going into production. We're set on that course. We're focused on that. Our off-taker is, you know, I've, I've been communicating with them a lot. They, they know about this uh, timeline. We don't, we don't believe that in any way that they want to pull out, but they might. You know, they might decide, well, you know, we don't want to wait six months, which would, or which I think would be, you know, uh, very unusual. And there might be other reasons um, why they want to do that. But there are a number of different off-takers who want access to Mississippi Valley-style mineralization like this. It's a very clean concentrate that's highly regarded in the marketplace and off-takers want it. Right. And so there's a strong yep. demand for this. And maybe we, we need to do some uh, negotiations on the credit agreement. But I think, you know, it won't be substantially different to, to what it is, because, as you know, I spent a lot of time negotiating with a number of different off takers to select IXM. We had that put towards our shareholders and for consideration. Everybody liked it. Right. There's really no change in that. You know, you've got to, you just got to step back and say, okay, what, what is EDM trying to do? Does this kill the project? No. Are there things that we can do in the meantime? Yes, which we're doing. You know, we're doing engineering plans on the mill. Senko should finish those off next quarter. Uh, we're doing very detailed mine planning, which in a further de-risk of project. You know, we're prepping for hiring over 150 people full-time from Nova Scotia when Jobs are difficult to come by, particularly if you want to work in the mining industry. You've got to go offshore or, you know, out of province. This is a project that people can live in HRM, Halifax Regional uh, Municipality. They can live here. They can send their kids to school. They can see their partner before they head off to work at the mine. So this is a very unique um, position. And, and that's why, you know, I spend most of my time in Nova Scotia because it's, it is actually quite a good province um, and it's become more and more popular uh, after COVID, you know, with the Atlantic bubble and so forth. Uh, yeah. So I, I think the economics, just to wrap that up, the economics are actually better, Andrew, than you would believe. And you're very technical as well, and you probably read the PFS backwards and forwards, but there's a lot of information there that indicates and demonstrates that this is a very robust project. Nothing's easy. If it's easy, Everybody would done would have done it. What we've done, what EDM have done in the last four years has been transformational. And I think that's yeah. what all our investors appreciate that we just didn't step out and say, Oh, let's do this. Like I as you know, I'm an engineer. I've done I've built operations, I've run operations, my team on site have been around mines as well. Yes, I'm driving this, but this is a great project. 
we've had analysts on site who love it, who also see and have read the technical reports and 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 have looked at it and said, "Wow, this is this is pretty good." You know, I want to be a, an investor. I want to be a shareholder of, of this. But yes, I understand that these things do take time. You you sometimes you have a setback, and sometimes that can be you know like catastrophic for a company in that there's just no way you're going to get permitted. But as you know, Andrew, like we 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 have the two EAs in place. That's one of the biggest things that you need to do in Nova Scotia or in anywhere is to basically navigate that EA process. You know, remain in compliance, which is what we're doing, you know, constantly to make sure that we're on you know, the highest care and level that we can to be able to announce we're going to production within, as I said, the nine to twelve months. And that's what we're focused on. We're laser focused on getting this into production. This is going to be the next step, if you like, in transformational value. And that's why, and that's when uh, we see that we're really going to be re-rated. Um, not just yeah. us sitting around and putting our press release out and saying, well, we you know this is where we are. You know, we're, we're focused on getting to that point, getting into, uh, you know, having the equipment arrive on site. So if, if the equipment turned up and started digging tomorrow, our share price would be you know, considerably higher than it is now because we've been through all those things that, that are difficult. And now we're basically getting into production, which is the exciting thing. And then, of course, you know, we're getting to the commercial production phase and getting through the commissioning and announce that we've, you know, we've had three months of you know, revenue or production concentrate and we make that press release of declaration of commercial production. These aren't right. things that you know are going to be far away in, in our view. And that's why I said, Andrew, we're, we're just focused on that. We're doing everything we can. We're very diligent. I believe that you know we're a great professional group that is focused on that. I've got a great board. You know, I've got a special committee that I work closely with who are all you know seasoned mining people as well. Um, and and you can see that you know the. You can every company can have a setback yeah. but this is not a big setback you know this is not like sorry it's over you know we're going to go and do something else <laughs> yeah there's just a lot of things to consider there mark and you know mpv's mpv but it's also discounted many years out as well and yeah you know there's that part that happens and another small operator titan mining perfect example upstate new york very yeah. similar situation at different grades and different mining underground etc but Nonetheless, you've seen them suffer on high and low zinc prices over the years. Yeah. Um, and timing, you know, they start paying a dividend. You're yeah. going to have those issues. Those are to be expected. Yeah. I'm sorry to cut in, but I looked at Titan and I'm an underground miner as well. And I've worked underground, operated equipment, yep. had a bit of fun with industrial deafness as a result of that. But the essence behind Titan is they're very challenging. They have sulfides. They have a like a long haul. Their cost matrix is much higher than an open pit operation in Nova Scotia on a, on a logistically very good road, uh, highways near ports and things like that. If you look at their C1 cash cost, um, or even their, you know, I guess they're all in sustaining, if you like, it's higher. One horse mine as well. You know, you know what situation is operating in America uh, or in, in New York. Uh, there's a lot of challenges. And I think Canada has a slightly different focus. Even if you look at other operations in in South America, you know, they have different environmental standards, different um, yep. corporate governance standards, all these things. And, and we're, we're operating 
in one of the highest standards. And I'm proud that, you know, I'm proud to be operating and to be running a Canadian company that has high standards. You know, we introduce and implement our ESG strategies. That's the environment right. and social governance. You know, we can do. Some companies just cannot do that. There's just no way. No way they could right. do it. And so that then itself also provides another re-rating opportunity because it opens up, you know, the share the, the shares to other uh, investors who that's one of the key requirements for investment in a mining company is to have those ESG things in place. So yeah. that's yeah. one little take on Titan. <laughs> no, look, it's not apples to apples. I get that. Uh, we raise our standards much more, Mark. We're going to be out of a job. <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah. like there's there's lots of challenges here. Obviously, you mentioned you know uh, getting into some of those better grade zones uh, at the open pit operations, and obviously a couple years in, you know the costs yeah. are going to come down. You've got all those issues. You've got the ongoing permitting because, as you said, after year seven, we've got to have additional permits to expand the river diversion yeah. gauge river there. Just to cut in, sorry, Andrew, um, I just want to make sure that you know that our permitting work is will be ongoing for the next. For the expansion you know beyond the seven years so we're not going to start that in year seven that's going to basically no. start you know day one when we when the perm- we have a good group of permitting group consultants they're helping you know steer it this with with our team on site so that's an ongoing thing you know and the government and i think just generally in our discussion that we want this it just takes time to work through those procedural things and work it all out you know no of course and it's never ending and it's going to be ongoing from the day that commercial operations are steady state you're going to be working on that permitting process years in advance because that's just canada it takes a long time there's a lot of bureaucracy that's been layered in that happens as well and the fact is is the the dfo might want to get on their permits because otherwise there is no jobs and so that's it's a vicious circle if you will and one of the other things too mark is just that constant news on progress detailed news on progress. I think that that helps the market understand that there is progression, detailed information on what kind of refurbishments, what kind of replacements, uh, what specifically is happening with the salmon studies. The reality is I'll I'll start to shift to permitting, but I've got one more question on the economics before we do that. I was confused to some degree too. Is this regarding the the standing water in the open pit before dewatering? Is that their problem? Is it the river problem? Um, in some places in the United States, if you take a pee on the ground, the next day it's considered a wetland. It's ridiculous, Mark. When I saw this, I was like, okay, is this the river? Or are they literally telling you now that there's aquatic wildlife in the open pit that has water in it? You know, it's it's really just the impact of, of our operations on the water yep. quality. And that's how the Department of Fisheries and Oceans are set up. Yep. It's not Nova Scotia. It's basically the feds. And what their requirements are and what their understanding is and what they're supposed to do, the feds. And then you've got the feds in Ottawa saying that we need critical mineral projects. We've got these huge funds that are available to to get projects like yours into production. And so you've got a you've got a bit of, you know, the federal government saying go slow, another one saying go quickly. And so navigating that, as you can imagine, that's been one of our challenges. And so sure. when you talk about the company disclosing certain things in detailed press releases, sometimes it's better to not do that because it gets lost. And the amount of technicality or technical jargon in some of those press releases can get confusing and, and then people focus on certain things. Sometimes it's better to have like a webinar or you know what we're doing sure. today 
yep. to elaborate on some of that. And and as you know, we've been EDM is very focused on communicating at the best we can to the market. You know, we yep. we have open days. We we encourage in, investors to to reach out to us and engage with us. But you can't engage with everybody until everybody everything and certainly in a press release you don't do that right and so you you have to manage that the best you can and of course you know look at a lot of that from you know the legal perspective and and disclosure perspective and what we have to do in terms of uh, exchange regulators what we're allowed to say and and what we should say and sure that's this part i guess this part of every press release you can't put everything in you hope that you can have a discussion like this on which is an hour or two hours or whatever uh, to elaborate on some of those points yeah yeah no absolutely mark and you know you have different demographics of investors Uh, some investors uh, might be sitting on their canaccord app looking at uh, edm's esg score before they make the purchase i can tell you i'm not doing that (laughs) but uh, but certainly we've got it in place yet it's those types of things we have to deal with the different demographics, but also that it demonstrates, even if there's not much substance to the news, that it demonstrates this type of progress and that there's activity continuing. And, and sometimes the market loses that. Some people care, some people yeah. don't care. And obviously mm-hmm. you guys have to handle that to the best of your ability. Yeah. I want to talk just briefly just on the economics here and then move on back cool. over to the permitting and a few other things. But just with respect to the debt offtake package, another thing is hedging. Would you look to hedge in those first couple of difficult years? Would you look to hedge a little bit here? Some of that zinc production, Mark, what would you do there just to look at hedging and also just preserving that debt and offtake package in place? Just talk about those things. So I've, I've been familiar with hedging in past operations in Africa. And as you know, I've spent over six years in Africa and most of those, most of those mines uh, we hedged. And I think, I think it's a it's a good thing, particularly for the start of an operation when you've got you know, some aspect of fluctuations of your key of your key driver, in our case uh, zinc. So yes, we'd be looking at um, hedging as much of our production within the first 24 months or so. We haven't announced anything with our offtaker, but you could imagine that we'd be looking to do something like that when we know we're going to go into production. So if I say to you, to the market, we put our press release saying that we're going to uh, get into production in, in nine to 12 months, I would expect that the company would announce soon after that some form of hedging. I think that's that's logical, Andrew, and it makes sense. We're not just, you know, we, we've got a great off-taker with us. They may not do a hedging, but there's others who would. And, and of course, you know, you can, you can expect I would have been to some of those and, and as we get closer to production you can bet that i would be looking at hedging some of that you can't hedge 100 percent, but uh, a meaningful quantity uh, a certain sure. price makes sense now and that, that's why i'm saying in our opening remarks is that if the zinc price is like 90 cents would you want to go into production no if a zinc price is 90 cents and you've got a hedge at a dollar 20 no problem but it won't be 100 percent so then you have to manage the the gap and manage that right. risk and think of that so yes uh, i think hedging is, a, is an important component but we're not going to announce a hedge right now until we know our startup timeline and that's really sure. what that press release is about and you know that i don't 
put press releases out for the sake of putting press releases out, especially when over summer in Canada, everybody's up at their cottage, you know, there's there's not a lot of things happening, uh, investors caring, but right, kids are going back to school. September is hopefully going to be a lot better month for retail market. We may well, you know, be increasing uh, the communications to the market as a result of that. For sure, there's a lot of things happening, as I mentioned, in this year and, of course, uh, in the lead up to uh, our plan production next year. We don't, as I mentioned, we don't know when that's going to be. Our timeline for final approvals, we'd expect it over summer this year. And then our offtake conditions to be satisfied and then announcing uh, in production you know, sometime next year with commercial production as early as Q1 or Q2 next year. But with that change, uh, in the feds, that's why I wanted to communicate to the market that you know we're not going to get the, the the federal approval in summer. We may not get it till you know like summer of next year, which means that there's that change in the timeline. Can we announce this going into production now? It's one question I'm, I've had from other shareholders. Can we just announce it? Do we want to do that if there's a risk to the timeline? And we have all the equipment on site. We have. We're burning a lot of money. We have 150 people sitting around. No, we don't. We want to make sure that everything's lined up as much as possible. And that's, of course, that's been my focus in managing this company and, and the project. A couple things here. Obviously, the permit's the critical driver. Once that DFO permit's in place, then obviously, to some degree, and within the limitations of the existing permitted operations or the things you can do, uh, that'll progress in the meantime to DFO permit. So that type of progress with the DFO permit in place. And then of course, things like refurbishments completed, dewatering has started, you know, stockpiling has started. I think those details will be important to delineate to the market. And then as well with that is the other point that this is a PFS stage project, but also that you and the team are confident that this can move forward because it is a restart on a PFS and that you won't have to do any additional DFS and DFS 2.0 and, and all this other <laughs> thinking around that you've seen with other companies. You're confident in this operation to move forward on a PFS. I think that's important to get across to the audience. Yeah, I agree. So two things um, on the progress. As, as we see it, once we start completing and checking off those final approvals, sure, we're going to communicate those to the market. That's a given, you know, and there'll be further updates and, you know, because they are milestones. The market wants to, to know about those. And of course, you know, we're more than happy to communicate that, you know, in due course, if they're meaningful. And so you can imagine all those different steps and, and it's quite exciting when you go down that path and we've announced it, we're going to production, we've completed these CPs, you know, the trucks are on site, you know, we commenced dewatering the pit, which I just want to say that, we're not dewatering the pit and then draining the pit and then starting to mine down there. We're using that water in the mill for process water. So it's all about staged development of the operation and using the water in the pit efficiently. And the most efficient way you can do that is use it in the processing side first before you put it into the tailings point. So these little things that sure we will plan and schedule our press releases in order to communicate that to the market in a timely manner 
and then you know hopefully that's going to you know disseminate through and lead to some you know, increase in share price as we get closer to and beyond commercial production so your other question on on the restart i think what you're asking is the confidence in the capex and whether or not we need to do you know subsequent studies and so forth as you know uh, the purpose for a 43101 pre-feasibility study or or feasibility study is to bring in and attract finance the fact that the project is brownfield it's it's built and we've had very competent engineering teams and experts not only analyze the mill and determine what needs to be done but also from a mine planning sense uh, how how we develop the the ore body uh, what do we do with the waste these are all and then who are we going to do that you know with contractors uh, or own a mining operation we went through a number of different studies uh, during covid I might add and we came up with a very robust you know owner operator you know you haven't got a lot of trucks you've got basically you know maximum of 10 trucks uh, three excavators and then support gear and so forth and a workforce of about 150 who essentially are operating the mill the mine you know, admin and everything else so that's not a big thing right to consider I mean I've run operations that have had 3000 people you're you're on a different scale this is a pretty small scale but it has a great margin and when you put that into a technical report um, you go through that in detail you know under uh, due diligence with a finance group right, such as an off taker there's a lot of questions being asked uh, their experts are asking the questions analyzing you know the block model analyzing your mine plans analyzing the mill they got their mill experts come to them to the operation and yeah, yeah i can i can see that oh have you got this yes here it is okay fine and they go through that process and they say, yep, we love it. We're going to extend finance. We're going to go to the next step in terms of putting in a credit agreement. But you still have to do certain things in order to draw that down. So that's why I was saying, you know, we don't, with that in place as it stands, we don't need to do another PFS because the PFS is really for uh, the market, if you like. We have the off-taker who says, yes, I'm satisfied with that. You don't need, need to do anything more. Are we continually analyzing our finances, updating our financial model? Yes, and we're doing that internally. I can't talk about that because that's not under disclosed 43101 technical report. But needless to say, um, we, we are working closely with the off-taker to make sure that the economics of the project are positioned in such a way that everybody's willing to go forward. And that's really what I've been doing, Andrew. So I don't envisage a, a another updated PFS or feasibility study unless we feel that let's update, let's update the PFS, you know, considering we've made some great changes to the operation, uh, which, you know, improved the economics or uh, reduced the capex or, you know, we want to look closely. We want to communicate how much better it is to, to the market. Than the previous yep. PFS, so that it's possible. I wouldn't say no um, that we're not going to do it because we had, and I think I had mentioned at one point that once we go into production, you know, there might be a lull in information that we might that we might um, you know quickly uh, update the PFS, which is really just essentially you know, updating some of the numbers and having the independent experts sign off on that, and then there's your report. So we may do that, but 
in terms of other full-blown studies and okay well let's look at underground operation and and let's look at you know something completely different i don't think that's necessary because we've got a 40 year mine life and their economics are quite robust you know when you look at the sensitivities in that latest pfs you can confirm that it's, it's good you cover that mark and demonstrate some of the confidence there because these economic studies you know we've seen there's lots of different reasons for them obviously uh, financing and certain yeah. parties being comfortable off takers etc there's been cases where regulators have demanded that you go through the steps and these regulators have no clue about mining uh they think they do but they don't um and we've seen <laughs> that happen as well where well we really want to see a dfs before we really buy off on this release or allow you to talk about this and so we've seen that asx uh, specifically i'll pick on the asx a little bit there but then we've seen companies just you know 2.0 to 3.0 enhanced redefined yeah. i mean you know it's just a delay tactic too and so yeah, you, yeah. you've got all yeah. different reasons mark and i appreciate yeah. you're comfortable as a mining engineer to move forward with as it stands now if there's expiration work that happens and economics improve because of discovery and different things like this and you want to reiterate that to the yeah. market i completely would understand that one just to move on here for yeah. sake of time as well um, i just want to ask you briefly about expansion scenario at year seven or, or what have you that obviously will be prepared in advance but to talk about the expansion of the pit and capex potentially for that i know it's a very early stage but do you see the expansion being a a big hurdle in terms of capex and permitting what's your thoughts on that just taking a step back and when you look at expansion you look at the resources and so the mineral resources um, lead zinc and gypsum we have roughly 25 million measured and indicated right and when you have that that kind of quantity quantity in fairly much the same grades because this is a very homogeneous deposit and that's the advantage of the mississippi style mineralization here it's a very constant grade and it's like a coal seam if you like you know the quality is fairly consistent and it's kind of layered and it kind of moves around a little bit but it's a fairly consistent mineralization or deposit of lead and zinc um, with gypsum sitting sitting above it so when you look at expansion you look at the quantum of particularly your measured indicated a category of that resource estimation we have 25 million tons, right? So it's, it's a large quantity, if you like, in terms of the amount. And the resource reserve estimation is essentially half that. So if you like, you're converting less than half of your mineral resource into an economic reserve. So I've operated projects that's different to that in terms of you converting more of your resource into reserve you don't get 100%. Some operations get 10% below that. We're essentially getting 50% below that, which means that there's an opportunity to increase your conversion and get more out of your reserve. Sometimes you, you can do that via you know, the economics of the operation, cutoff grade, additional definition drilling uh, might improve certain confidence in your indicated or measured which might go into your proven uh, classification. So you have more you know, confidence in your ore body and you're prepared to drive the ore body out there. And of course, you've got a, you've got a pit design. And the pit design is, an, in our case, it's an open pit operation or open cut operation. You can change your, the parameters of your walls. You can lay it down. You can you know, stand it up a bit higher. 
you can do other measures measures basically reduce waste you did mention i didn't answer it before but a river diversion so we don't plan on doing that uh, but that could be an opportunity i think it would be a lot of work in order to do that but it has been discussed in the past and so if that happened then we would have an increased conversion from the resource to reserve and extend the mine life by three or four years. And so when it comes to the capex behind that, there's virtually very minimal capex. You know, the plant, the plant, uh, the, the mill operates, it likes a million tonnes a year. That's what it's, that's what it's uh, geared at. Um, the operation or the mining operation would require essentially additional mining equipment, uh, like a, another fleet, uh, once that area is expanded out. That, that goes to your OPEX because you lease. So that's, again, not a big CapEx injection. Um, so then you're talking about, okay, if we extend it beyond, you know, beyond the 14 years, what do we need to do? And so that might be a tailings dam raise or, you know, in-pit tailings disposal, which uh, is very little. It's actually one of the lowest costs to um, get to store your tailings is put it in the pit that you've mined out. You're not looking at a lot of CapEx. And remember, uh, if you if you look at the uh, some of the free cash flow uh, over the life of the mine, first three years EBITDA is sixty million. We pay back our loan, and then from year four onwards, we we make essentially you know ninety two ninety two million dollars the next three years. Subsequent three years, ninety six million dollars, ninety seven million dollars. And then the final four years, we make $130 million EBITDA. So you know, when you add all those up, that's over 300 million, I think it's over 300 million EBITDA over that period of time. So if we were to to expand the mine uh, beyond the 14-year mine life, we have a fair amount of cash in a treasury, you know, if we didn't do anything else other than that. But as you know, EDM, Explore, Develop, Mine, the M is the mine. We have an opportunity to pay dividends, but also to do something interesting with uh, EDM. We're totally a, a focused critical minerals company. And I think you you want to ask us, so what other critical minerals <laughs> are there? Well, you know, there's about 25 of them. Canada has a pretty big drive right now in that space. So maybe this is something that um, we can work on once we're happy with our new timeline and, and the things in place that we're working upon. That sounds good, Mark. Yeah, I wanted to check on that and get your take on that expansion and some of the things that would be done and progressive reclamation and some of these other things that are make a lot of sense here with the operation. Yeah. Moving on to just a few other questions here on a few other subjects. With the gypsum component, which of course is expected to be sold along with the zinc and lead, what level of finishing is planned for the gypsum? Are we going with uh, just a, a raw gypsum or is there a plan to have a calcinated gypsum product come out? As you know, we mine through gypsum uh, and we have quite a lot, about 5 million, 5 million tons of high-grade gypsum. And that's like above 90, around about 90, let's, let's call it 93% uh, gypsum. So as you mine through that, we mine through other evaporates as well, but the, this gypsum that we've defined is high-grade. But in the PFS, we considered it only at crude gypsum prices, which is around about $9.80 US dollars a tonne. That's gone up, certainly with the uses of gypsum in warbled by warbled manufacturers and by specialty product manufacturers, namely Passport Paris and you know, drywalling 
mudding and things like that. In the PFS, we use a fairly conservative pricing for that, but that still provided an additional revenue to the project of roughly $50 million. And all we're doing is basically mining it out. We're crushing it to a maximum of about eight, well, running through crusher at eight inches, I think that's the sizing. And then the off-taker would take would buy that and give us the sales from that, which would be roughly you know, $10 to $12 Canadian. Very simple. So the question I think you're asking is, will we calcificate that and run it through a little plant and upgrade it from crude gypsum at 93% to essentially a specialty product? That's very possible as well because it has how I see gypsum at our mine is that we have some crude gypsum, which is essentially 87% and below. We could sell that to a wallboard manufacturer and get that $10 to $12 a tonne. But this the high-grade specialty product is kind of standing out as say, why don't we why don't we upgrade it? You know, can we upgrade it on site? What would that require? And that's really a calcification plant. And that could be quite quite exciting, certainly in terms of additional revenue to the project. And there's more there. The gypsum was defined in the mineral resources and then process that under the reserve calculation, the economics of operation is really the minimum we, we see. So I think you know, the gypsum is quite an exciting opportunity. To tell the truth, we haven't pushed out a project. Of course, we haven't announced anything on that. That could be you know, something we'd frame into an updated PFS, for example. Yep. Yep. So, okay. and, and other things we've been working on might make sense to, to do that you know, once we're announced we're going into production. A lot of catalysts that, that could be upcoming, but as you know, I'm pretty conservative in, in what we promote. And we want to we want to communicate to the market that we you know we're doing the right thing. We, we love this project. It's a very unique project, and investors you know hopefully will will stay with us as we navigate through this and create value for you know, our stakeholders. And it seems like it's fairly easy to implement and get that byproduct out fairly straightforward. Nothing's ever easy. Nothing's yeah, ever easy. Very easy. But- if it's just a matter of a crusher and a screen coming in, that's a little more simpler than some other things, as you know. Yeah, um, yeah. A few other things here to wrap up, Mark, and I appreciate the time to go through this because I think it's important for folks to understand you know, what's happening and understanding where the sentiment is in the market for this equity and obviously overall junior sentiments in the toilet pretty much, Mark. But let's just cover off a few things to wrap up here. Exploration work. The market focus right now is on restart and permitting finalization, but uh, do you think the market will care uh, about expiration? And is there any plan to do some expiration work over the, say, the next uh, six to eight months? Well, uh, you know that from our last financing, we we raised some flow-through, not a large amount, but we're we're currently spending that on uh, expiration. We expect to announce the results of that at the end of this year. Once the, once the team have completed that work, uh, we expect to have some drilling in the, the last quarter and put that in to a press release and, of course, announce that as you would normally do. Will the market care? That remains to be seen naturally. But any additional resources that are close to the operation that we can truck in or a guest conveyor in from the being so close, that can make a difference to the economics of the project, especially if it's a high-grade deposit, then you know, where you're mining at depth uh, in the main pits. So naturally, 
we'd want to look at that for on under an economic basis, uh, put it into an updated resource estimation if that was close enough or at least reasonable to do that. And, and then, of course, into reserves. So any exploration, I think, near a permitted operation with even though we have a long term mine line, I think it's important and newsworthy. If, for example, we had a prospect that was 300 kilometers away from the mine, and we had one right up in Cape Britain, and we looked at that and said, this is just too far. Right? How, how is this going to benefit spending exploration dollar on this when it's such a long way? Yes, it's interesting resources, potential grades and so forth. But is it really going to make a difference to this operation? And we said no. So we dropped it. And so the, pro the, the prospects we're working on now are within essentially a stone's throw um, of, of our operation and could be trucked in uh, if, if they were a certain grade. Right? And, and that's really why we're looking and, and that's really why I've decided to do some exploration work this year on those. And obviously, spending money on exploration once we get uh, to a cash flow state and replacing depletion is going to be a good thing as well. So I appreciate sure. you, you touching mm -hmm. on that and waiting to see those results when they come out. And hopefully there's something there of note. Mark, just to wrap up here, awareness and listings. What is the plan to get the word out to the investor community over, say, the next uh, few months? And then also on listings, is there a plan to get a USOTC listing or maybe something in Europe? What's the plans there? I, I think the strategy has always been to communicate you know, milestones, you know, development of the project, you know, upcoming activities on site, but, but also where EDM is going. You know, as I mentioned before, EDM explore, develop mine, we have the mine. Are there any other projects that while we're waiting for the permitting to be completed, is there anything else that's that's worth adding into EDM, which makes sense, right? And particularly, as I mentioned, we, you know, we're focused on being a critical mineral producer. I think there's lots of opportunities in, in Canada, particularly in, in this area, in Atlantic Canada and in Quebec maybe Ontario, uh, that, that could make sense. So uh, I think if we spend some time looking at that, then that could be something we'd be looking to. You know, in terms of next year, a remainder of this year, as I mentioned, September, everybody's coming back to work, if you like. There's more, more focus on companies such as us, what we're doing. So we'll be increasing our activities in, in terms of that more engagement at various uh, levels, you know, whether it be in person, you know, as you know, I spend a bit of time in Toronto, you know, talking to the street and telling them where we're going and updating the market where we're doing, we probably do uh, continue to do more of that. We, we have been, I think, listed or the previous management were listed on the OTCQX. I don't know what status that is, but it hasn't really provided anything of benefit, I think, to the company right now uh, or at least since i've been here for the last four years what i'd like to do is to tap into other markets that we haven't been to yet and that might be a european listing and which should essentially very low cost or no cost except for marketing and so that might be well worth exploring my vp has been looking into that to see whether or not we should push a trigger on that and start driving some of that uh, opportunity
That sounds good, Mark. It would be good to continue to get the word out to some of these other communities out there, some of these other prominent podcasts that focus on junior natural resources. And then, of course, the European listing would be of note. And at least you're on the TSXV and not the CSE. So congratulations on at least not taking the bottom of the barrel. And <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll leave it there for now. I think we've given the audience uh, quite a bit of time here, and I appreciate the time you've taken uh, to talk to us here. For potential investors who are listening in, the company has a market capitalization now of about $4 million Canadian dollars. Why should EDM resources be considered by investors at this point? I think as a critical minerals producer near term, and that might be as early as next year, they should consider it because we're still on the cusp of going into production. And that's a very compelling opportunity to be part of that as a shareholder, especially at these prices. So I think now is particularly a great time to buy, you know, if you like the story, if you like what we're doing and you can see where we're going and that timeline, that should speak to itself that this is very unique. We're doing the best we can to push that timeline forward. It's a great company it's from where it was four years ago. And it's quite exciting. And I'm very happy to be a part of it and to be, of course, talking to you about this, Andrew. You've had some excellent questions, very uh, thoughtful questions, and of course, very penetrating. And I hope your your listeners can spend some time listening to that. The beverage has probably gone cold by now, uh, but it's uh, well worth doing and spending the time. Now, it depends on what you're drinking, Mark. Of course. Comment. Uh, how about the best way for investors uh, to reach out to the company? On our website, we have the usual email contacts that goes directly to my VP. Um, and we're both very good at responding to those questions if we can. Sometimes we have a disclosure thing that we have to be mindful of, but there's that, the website, www.edmresources.com. We're up to date, pretty much the latest uh, presentation, fact sheets and so forth. Can we make it a fancier website? Sure, but really that's the best way to contact us. Mark, well, thank you for taking the time. Uh, looking forward to seeing progress soon. My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you very much.